Stephanie J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. This is Danny J. And Jill Coleman. And we are super excited. We're actually in uh, Orange County right now at our friend Cole Hatter's house. And we're actually in uh, his movie theater studio, which is really fancy. I wish if you're on social right now or two weeks ago, you'll have seen it. But anyway, I'm really excited. Cole, thanks for having us over here. Thanks for cruising all the way down. <laughs> LA is so close, but it was probably like a three-day commute, I right? know. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it could be like two, three-hour drive when it's To go 60 more- miles. I know. It's so insane. Yeah. So, no, we're so excited. You know, we figured we could do this on Zoom, but you were close enough. We're like, let's just go because we need to do it for the gram, right? For sure. And we need a chance <laughs> to hang out. I haven't seen you guys <laughs> for, for sure. Couple, it's been what, a couple like of months. Weeks or something. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I guess I'll kind of explain how we met Cole. I love the story. Yeah. So Cole has a big event called Thrive. And it was honestly, Jill and I go to lots of events together. Um, we go to events on our own, business events, personal development events, all kinds of things. And we actually had a friend of ours, Lori Harder, who's been on the podcast, a good friend of ours, was speaking at Thrive. So we didn't really know about it, but we knew Lori was speaking and being the amazing friends that we are, we wanted to go support her. <laughs> so we ended up uh, purchasing VIP tickets to this event in Las Vegas. Plus any excuse for Jill and I to go to Vegas is fun. Yep. And it was so life-changing, actually, and transformative. We I can't even tell you how many times Jill and I looked at each other and just like bawled our eyes out um, because the speakers were so great, the content was so great, and ended up just loving it so much, not even knowing who Cole was, running to the back of the room to sign up for his mastermind. So I know Jill talks about her mastermind a lot. She's in Lewis Howe's mastermind. And then the funny thing is, is Cole's actually in Lewis's mastermind. So just kind of full circle, and we're just really excited to have you here, so... There's like that interconnective web right there. Of yeah. Life. We've been one person removed between the Harders and Lewis and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were bound to become homies. Totally. Totally. No, I, know. So, I love so the cool. story just because we actually weren't, we didn't know what to expect at Thrive. And so, and to be so transformed and literally, I was just like, I mean, I remember like going upstairs and doing a Facebook live right after and being like, you guys need to come to this next year. Definitely by far the best in-person event that I went to last year. Yeah. And it was the crazy weekend of all the Vegas shooting too. So it was like the weird emotion, like the roller coaster of emotions. That was such a, yeah, that was such a crazy weekend because it happened that night. We were all supposed to go to Grant Cardone's event, which we ended up missing. We were hanging out with Chris Harder for dinner or Chris uh, Chris Record Record, at dinner. And then we decided not to go last minute. And then you guys got stuck in Mandalay Bay Mm -hmm. overnight, didn't you? Yeah, that was, that was brutal. But uh, obviously, I mean, I have no story to tell compared to those who were injured or lost loved ones. But, yeah, we uh, they didn't know who was the good guy or the bad guy. So SWAT team came in, made us lay down, and we were kept in that bar restaurant area for about nine hours yeah. until about uh, 7 or 8 a.m. the next morning. Then they let us go. So, yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm at the spiritual highs, three days yeah. of Thrive. Yeah. Thrive ended at 6 p.m. Yeah. Everything's amazing. 11 p.m., the world comes crashing down, and I'm lying on a restaurant floor with a SWAT guy with a huge gun over my head for the next six hours. But again, I've nothing to complain about here. We all are. And, uh, so anyway, but yeah, I appreciate those kind words for thrive and you know, it really is a speakers. I, I curate it. I booked the venue and I ask amazing people like Lori and who's coming back this year with Chris. I don't yeah. know if you guys know that Sonny and I have just been really as a married couple doing business together, really drawn towards these couples doing business together, like the Cardones and like the, the Harders and others. And so 
having them both this year will be great. But that experience you're talking about is is kind of the theme, and I guess Sonny and I could take credit for that. Mm-hmm. But but the movement and the the quality of experience I'll really give to the speakers. You know, yeah. all I do is give them a microphone, a stage, and point a light at them. They deliver the content that makes you run up to your room and do a Facebook Live. So we're really <laughs> blessed to have the opportunity to provide a platform to attract a level entrepreneurs, not just because they're making seven, eight, nine figures, but because they're badasses and they're good people too. There's a lot of really wealthy people that suck. uh, And so it's cool to find those that are heart centered and want to really not just make money, but make an impact. So, right. So tell us a little bit about that. We want to talk about your story too, obviously, but you know, tell us a little bit about thrive, like the mission behind thrive, what exactly, how you, how you would describe this event to someone who maybe doesn't know you. Yeah. So thrive is actually an evolution of my story. So, so we can get deeper into the story in a moment, but having made a lot of money and then lost it all, which is very common for those of us that were doing business before the recession, and then having made 10x back, I, in this journey of having money, having nothing, having money and all of that, when I lost it all, realized, oh my gosh, I had all this wealth and I assumed someday that I'd get to this incredibly high level of wealth where all I would do is give back like a, a Bill Gates, etc. Yep. And now it's all gone. And what a shame that those three or four years, again, it was like 2005 to 2008 that I was doing well. I just spent it on myself yep. and I know I'll do well again, but how selfish of me was it to take those resources I had and just spend it on nothing. Mm -hmm. And I said, when I become successful again, I'm going to make sure my money matters. And that's kind of where make money matter, what, you know, evolved from. And so start a business again. I'm being broad right now because we'll get into the specifics of the story later, but uh, start a business again, post recession, post going through some internal, uh, whatever you like work on my heart and my life from experiencing some things that kind of sucked prior to that. And then start a business that made a difference. And so living a life of at the end of each quarter, looking at quarterly revenue and, and how well we're doing financially, but also a key metric of how many people's lives we're touching mm-hmm. became way more fulfilling. And although we were making way more money and of course live in a great house and have a great lifestyle, uh, the thing that we pride ourselves on is what we leave and not what we keep. And uh, it really caught fire. I was asked to go on a lot of podcasts and kind of talk about that vision of starting businesses don't just make money, but make a difference. And there was clearly an audience of entrepreneurs that was thirsty for that. Uh, I was bombarded through social media of people saying, I heard your podcast. How do I do that to my business? Or how do I start a business like that that doesn't just make money, but makes an impact? So we're like, screw it. Let's just do an event one off. Let's see who will come and speak. Yeah. Lewis Howes was one of the first that I reached out to, and he said yes. Let's see who we can get there to teach business, to teach how to make money, and then how to make it matter. And uh, at the end of that first three-day of a one-off, Thrive was only supposed to be a one-off, the transformation we saw was pretty evident that this needed to be something we did again. And so here we are about to do Thrive 4. But really, honestly, uh, the vision of what Thrive is teaching entrepreneurs to do is just something that I learned self-taught mm-hmm. through having gone through seasons of entrepreneurship and growth, right? I mean, maturing. I was 22 years old, you know, making a half million dollars in my real estate business back then, which depending on who's listening to this, maybe that's a lot of money, maybe not. But for 22, I was freaking out. Yeah. So what's a 22-year-old going to do making a half million dollars a year? I Spend bought a brand wakeboard yeah. boat. I brought an Escalade. and put yeah. five TVs in it because four is not enough. You have to have five <laughs> TVs in your Escalade. And I was just a total, total dumbass. So yeah. anyway... It's an evolution of me realizing, hey, this is our one chance. You know, Gary V always says, this is our one at bat, yep. and I want to make sure it counts. 
Oh, I freaking love it. I, I was so inspired by it. I think just the idea of Make Money Matter too, because I went through my own personal struggle with kind of the economy crash in 2008 and all of that stuff as well. And one of my mentors was really big on giving back and like giving 10% to wherever you feel let, feel led. And so when we actually had an opportunity, you brought Claire, they were actually raising money for a charity at the event. And I'm assuming you do that at every, every mm-hmm. year. And so, you know, it was great to be able to just give back even in the, in the moment. So we ran to the back, gave our money to Claire's foundation and stuff too. And it's just, it's really cool. It's something that I really believe in. And I I have a program called Find the Money Project. And one of the, I don't know, key principles, one of the things is to give. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's really huge. And that's why I really was drawn to like what you do and and how you're teaching it. Is there a, is there like a threshold that you need to be making to give back? Or like, how do you explain to someone who's maybe listening to this and they're like, but you don't understand, I don't have money or I'm living in scarcity or... Totally. So here's how I always preface that conversation is I would never assume to tell anyone what to do with their money, but it's very interesting how when you step back and you watch people who have money who are happy and people who have money who are not, that's where the kind of the saying money can't buy happiness comes from because you see people with money who don't have happiness. I say poverty doesn't buy happiness or anything either, right? Mm-hmm. At all. Yeah. Uh, but then you see these incredibly wealthy people who live fulfilled lives who are about impact and change and generosity. And so, you know, whoever's listening to this, you can think we're crazy for even wanting to be generous and that's your prerogative. But that was the mistake I made is someday I'll be rich enough that like Bill Gates, I can walk away from my businesses and then just focus on giving back. And that's not to say Bill didn't give a long way either, but that was in my mind, like there will be a day where I wake up and have enough where now I don't have to do anything other than give back. And I think that's what a lot of people think is mm-hmm. once I get this or once I make that or then once I get another rental property, whatever it is, uh, I'll be in a position to give back. And then where most people end up is never hitting that ambiguous spot in life or number. And so it's about building it into the business model. Like Tom's Shoes, I think is the most obvious example for, for people out there that are listening to this that don't just want to make money but want to make impact. You just build some type of a charitable aspect within your business model. When Tom's was founded, uh, Blake built it one for one. So for every pair of shoes they sold, they gave a pair away. They were in business. They were making money. Last I checked, he was worth $350 million. So he's certainly doing well for himself. And they were giving so many free shoes away to the world. They had to now change their model because they were du- uh, disrupting local economies by flooding it with free shoes. Wow. wow. So what was starting off is just a way for him to help these kids he saw in Argentina while he was traveling by going college to college and selling shoes to help them. It's now created such a movement. Tom's is a, like every major retailer. I see him in Nordstrom's and everywhere. It's a freaking multiple nine-figure business. The founder's worth multiple nine figures, but they've given away millions and millions and millions of pairs of shoes along the way. So I think that that's the big key to your, to your question is you don't just someday arrive where you're, Mm -hmm. where you become generous. It's a matter of realizing this is again, our one life, regardless if you believe in reincarnation or you're just dying on the dirt, this version of this life is the only one we've got. And so make it matter. And I think the businesses can do that. I think the businesses are where the money is in the world. And instead of traditionally having a business that makes money, a nonprofit that makes a difference and having the business fund the nonprofit, why don't the business just solve the world's problems? And so there are many entrepreneurs and this is a growing belief that want this. And so anyone that's listening to this thinks it sounds interesting, do it. Anyone that thinks it's crazy, I would challenge you that when your competition starts doing this and you don't, the market share is going to gravitate towards people call it philanthropic consumerism where, hey, I can buy Bob's shoes and he does nothing 
or I can buy Tom's shoes and some kid somewhere is getting a pair, I'll buy Tom's. And so for anyone who, again, isn't necessarily in love with the idea of being generous, first of all, you kind of suck, right? But second of all, all, you might not make it uh, because this is not something I invented. This is something that I found and I'm just making a lot of noise because I believe in it. I'm certainly not the creator of businesses that make impact. Uh, But more and more entrepreneurs are catching on. And I believe someday this will just be commonplace where every business does something for someone and those that don't, you know, kind of like Blockbuster versus Netflix. You know, Blockbuster said, we're not going to change. They went out of business. Uh, Netflix is now worth, uh, last I checked, like $148 billion. So right. so the world's evolving. And so evolve with it. And at the same time, do stuff that matters. So yep. that's kind of the big picture. Love I it. like the do stuff that matters because my, my next question for you really was, I have people go, well, if I can't give money, can I give time? And what do you say to that kind of thing? Yeah, sure. So giving time's cool. I mean, it's our most valuable asset. It's our most valuable resource. Uh, but it's limited to each minute at a time. Mm-hmm. And it's not scalable. So I volunteer my time all the time, right, at my local church and with just – people and charities I believe in, uh, obviously going down to our orphanage, which is why I was a little late to this podcast. I was at the bank wiring money down to our orphanage. Mm-hmm. Uh, going down there is my time, right? And so I think the giving time is, is awesome. I think that if that's all you've got, though, you're limited. Mm-hmm. And so you can't give all your time to make an impact. You still have to be a human, make money, be a parent if you have children or yeah. whatever it is, right? So time is precious, but you can only be in one place at one time, one minute at a time. Yep. And if you have a bigger vision of making a bigger impact, then what I've found is that money does not make you a better person. It just gives you more options. And I really want to emphasize that to the listener. You know, human worth has nothing to do with net worth. But what I've found personally is that when you have more money, you have more options of doing more of whatever it is you want, mm-hmm. more square footage in your house, more vacations for more days, and more impact besides just your own time. And so sometimes people will say money changes you. I don't think that at all. I say money exposes you. Mm-hmm. And if you're a really great person, I give you an extra million dollars a year, you're going to do really great things. And if you kind of suck and I give you the extra million dollars a year, you're going to do things that kind of suck. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, for anyone listening to this who feels like they feel called to do more or be more or create a bigger impact besides the obvious of providing for your family, which is obviously important and caring and loving your children or, you know, whatever your life dynamic looks like, that's all important. But what else? I challenge you to think mm-hmm. that there's more you're put on this earth to do, mm-hmm. regardless of religious context, whether you believe in God or the universe or nothing. I believe that we all can agree that we want to make our time, our talents, our resources, and our, our lives matter. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what I have found is that when there's no financial constraints, mm-hmm. you have a bigger playground of doing whatever that is. Yep. And so where does the money come from? Starting a business that's a for-purpose business that allows you to record podcasts in your movie theater, right? Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah. be late to this podcast because you were just wiring money to your orphanage, yeah, right? right? Yeah. And then that's not to put me you know, as an example, but just for context, yeah. that's literally what's happening right now. We're in my movie theater yep. and I was five minutes late because I was coming for the bank because right. I want to take care of my well, kids. You are a great example. And I, I love that you even shared that because you know, you're know you very humble and you don't talk about all that stuff. But Jill and I, we went to Mexico with you with the mastermind, Thrive Connect. And we went to an orphanage, which we found out that you basically fund this orphanage. So it's amazing, even though, like you said, you can't spend all your time and maybe you go once a year, maybe less than that, but these kids are able to have clothing, they're able to have shelter, they're able to have water, clean water. I mean, there's so many things. We got to see so many kids' lives affected down there in person and it was really amazing to see. And then also just to provide the people who have that time. So you're a great example, like you practice what you preach, which is awesome. Thank you, yeah, I appreciate that. 
And let me let me go one step further because I was raised in the faith-based community, and we are taught to give privately and mm-hmm. to not publicly display our mm-hmm. acts of good service yep. and will. Uh, to give with your right hand, that your left hand, knowing all these all these different things. And so sometimes those that are raised in a similar belief system are conflicted, like, okay, I get that you're helping the world, but the fact that you talk about it is, you know, kind of makes you a dick and kind of undoes everything you're doing. And it's like, let's be clear, this is a business model. So what my wife and I do with our money privately, yeah. we don't share with anybody. Our businesses mm-hmm. connect to a cause mm-hmm. and make an impact. And so, again, for the, for the faith-based community listening to your podcast, it's very much like the church. The church publicly helps those in need, helps mm-hmm. fund missions, helps take care of orphans. It helps all that publicly. That's a church model. What the pastors are doing with their mm-hmm. money privately, they're not going to post on Facebook, hey, just gave a hung, hung, uh, homeless guy lunch or whatever it is. Right, right. So, right. so uh, again, for anyone who's got that conflict, because I do hear that a lot, like, Cole, I love this, but I would feel so cheesy saying, hey, come, come and buy my shirts because I'm going to go and help people with my shirt. It's not about you. It's about the business. Yeah. Do you think there's utility in sharing? There is utility in sharing. So wasn't it Chris, Chris Harder? Harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Chris Harder is obviously a friend of ours. Like generosity and, challenge. Have you been on? You've been on yeah, yeah. his podcast yeah. for the love of money. And he had a challenge where you had to share on social media mm-hmm. the ways in which you were giving your time or your money or whatever. And I think a lot of people were really did not like that or it just felt odd. It felt like bragging. So, but it was, let's be an example. Do you think there's utility in that? Absolutely. I think it's about the heart. I think that none of us can really know why anyone's doing anything. That's some pushback. So social media is awesome and it sucks. Mm-hmm. You should see the, the hate that I get in my inboxes and my DMs from people who don't understand it. One guy calls me Pharaoh and I'm like, why am I Pharaoh? And he's like, because you're running the biggest pyramid scheme I've ever seen. Like, I'm, I'm just helping entrepreneurs start. So anyway, so there's a lot of hate yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things I do get is is that pushback of like, you know, arrogance to, to talk about this. But I think that there's people that will use it as a gimmick that like, they don't really care about the impact they're making. Mm-hmm. They just want the unique brand or, or the cool story in mm-hmm. their brand of, Hey, come with me and we help these people. Mm-hmm. But I think that that becomes transparent. Yep. Uh, and so I just think that we can't listen to what the haters say and the naysayers. Uh, and if someone wants to hate on me for being generous, cool. That's their problem, not mine. Yeah. Uh, and so I would encourage anybody for you is specifically your question. Absolutely. I would say, if the motives are right, share with the world what you're doing and spread this idea of, hey, let's not just consume our whole lives, but let's give back. And again, it's not like there's so much more, I don't sure. want to say science, but business model behind this. There's all these consumer reports that I can show you where there are global studies, not just here in America, of asking consumers, if you had an opportunity to do a business with just a regular business or one that gave back, what would you choose? Mm-hmm. 91% of consumers said if it's an identical product, yep. obviously they're of equal value. Not one sucks and the other one's good, but they're com- comparable. Yep. I would for sure go and do business with one. So the way we teach it to thrive is there's actually ways to make more money so that this isn't just some utility or some gimmick, but and you're not just being some martyr where you're working your butt off and giving all your money away. Right. It's an actual business model that makes sense that quite frankly, is proven to get more market share. So at the end of the day, you could even argue that you'd have more money than you would have had otherwise while having the resources. Love to that. Give back. So that's what it's all about. How do you choose who to give back to and who you want to align yourself with? So I get that question top five, and it's really just what resonates with you. So for me and my wife personally, we're about human rights. So we work with women and children who are victims of human trafficking because mm-hmm. I think freedom is a human right. Mm-hmm. I don't think in 2018 
there should be slavery. And sadly, the statistics are there's more slaves today than ever in world history. Wow. It's just different than it used to be. And so uh, clean water. We do a lot with clean water in Africa because I think it's a human right to be able to drink clean water every day. And one of the number one reasons children under the age of five die is because they don't have access to clean water. Pisses me off. Wow. I believe that children should be cared for. I think that's a human right. That's why we have our orphanage and it's not. So my wife and I fight for human rights. Like basic, yep. you should be able to have clean water. You should be able to have your freedom and not be a slave. That's what really drives us. Not that I don't care for the environment, but I don't see one of my businesses going and saving rainforests Mm -hmm. because personally it hurts my heart more to know that a kid's dying of dirty water, right? Now, someone listening to this, that might be what you're impassioned about is the fact that something like an acre an hour is is being destroyed or maybe more now of rainforest like in South America. And if that's what gets your heart buzzing, then connect your, your business to making some impact in that area of the world. A friend of ours from our mastermind, Dave Aarons, is really impassioned about legal services for low-income families. There are people out there who are separating, going through divorce, where one spouse who has no money is having their children stolen from them because right. the other spouse has all the money and they're doing custody battles, etc. Mm-hmm. That breaks his heart. So he's all about helping provide affordable or even free legal services to the lowest-income families to fight for their parental rights or to fight for immigration status, etc. So mm-hmm. that's his passion. I would have yeah. never even thought that but I can buy into that so it's a long answer to say yep whatever it is that you want to to do when you look back at the end of 365 days the impact in the world that you want to have seen done that's what you should connect your business to and does there need to be a parallel not necessarily Uh, for every house I flip I give a house away in Mexico Mm -hmm. I don't know that we saw any of the houses uh, when you guys came down with us but so that's pretty easy you know my one of the businesses I own is I buy fix and flip real estate And when we flip one, we take some of that money, go down to Ensenada, and we build a house for a homeless family. So that's a perfect parallel. Thrive, last year, an entrepreneurial conference gave towards Claire's Place, which is helping kids who have cystic fibrosis. No connection there at all. It's, you know, this is an event about cystic fibrosis, uh, but we picked Claire because of her story, because she's an amazing human being, and because we wanted to help these kids who are born with this illness, who quite frankly have a very hard life and a very short life compared to the rest of us. And so there was no connection there. So the point is for those listening right now is it could be a perfect parallel. Tom's sold shoes and gave shoes away. I flip a house, give a house away, or it could be totally unrelated. You put a pool in someone's backyard and then you go save an acre of rainforest. It doesn't have to be the connection. It's just something that you could be proud of besides earning statements uh, of how you've helped people. I love that. I think, um, you know, one of the things that we, we get questioned, sometimes people want to get back or they just, but they don't feel that urgency or they don't feel that sense of like, it's hard to conjure up a sense of purpose sometimes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people feel maybe ashamed for not having a purpose. They go, well, like, oh, Cole, he's so clear on his message. He's so clear on his purpose. Like, so I know, we know a little bit about your story and I'd like for you to share it with us. Like what made you feel a little more urgency about like, I need to make every minute matter in my life. I'm supposed to be dead a few times. Um, I got in a car accident. It was a rollover car accident. We were on our way out to Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, The speed limit's 75 on that highway, so we were estimated to go about 80, not being reckless, but the car flipped, and when my body hit the ground, I was going about 80 in that rollover, so I was airlifted to the hospital. I had a traumatic brain injury, obviously hitting the pavement at 80 miles an hour, wearing this exact outfit, actually, board shorts and a a tank top. Because you'd call us a wife, Peter, but that might be. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, that's definitely so, not the word. Crew top, whatever this is called, <laughs> yeah. as far as it, what Target would call it. Anyway, I was wearing basically yeah. this this type of an outfit. So you don't have a lot of protection, was my point. I wasn't wearing jeans and a leather jacket. Yeah. I freaking uh, got very hurt and, you know, hardly, hardly survived that and, and lost my best friend in that accident. 
So not only did I have the near-death experience, but I had the grief and guilt of losing who in my life was the most important person in my life at that time. The grief of losing him and the guilt of having been lying on the pavement next to him, having been flown in the helicopter next to him, and having been in the uh, emergency room operating room next to him. And I survived and he didn't. So that really screwed me up. 66 days later, I had just gotten out of my wheelchair and into crutches. And there was one other guy in the car with us. It was me, Steve, and Matt. Matt and I became very close. He wanted to go ride some dirt bikes to celebrate me getting out of a wheelchair. I was like, bro, I can't hardly walk without crutches. He's like, that's the point. You sit on a dirt bike. This is the first time. Like, let's go. He was just trying to pull me out of my depression. Bottom line is he and I fell into a mine shaft. So we're on our we're on our dirt bikes going very slow, taking it very easy. Again, I could hardly hardly stand. So sitting and propping myself on a motorcycle worked, a dirt bike, that is. And uh, we're just putting around third gear, 20 miles an hour. He climbed a little bit of a hill, so I couldn't see what was at the top, neither could he. He disappeared past the top. I climbed up behind him, and there wasn't a top. It was a huge hole, uh, and we fell into the mine shaft. And um, it took six hours, but they finally got to the bottom of the mine shaft, and he did not survive. It was 780 feet deep. So in 66 days, I was ejected out of a car with Steve and Matt. Matt and I survived. Steve didn't. I then fell in a mine shaft with Matt. I survived. He didn't. So here I am, still banged up from the car accident physically 66 days later, still on crutches and lost the two most important people to me in my life. And so that was my aha moment. That was at 21. And I realized, holy crap, like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I almost died today. Someone ran a red light. Like I get it, but like I almost died. I was bleeding out of my ears and my eyes and stuff. So that close to death really gave me this sense of mortality that, holy crap, we all think we're going to like 80, 90, 100 years old, have kids, grandkids. And I was this close to not having 22 years and the others in those accidents did not. And so I think that's why I started searching for a purpose. That was my motivation. The question I get a lot is, do you have to have a near-death experience mm. uh, to find that motivation? And in total transparency, it certainly helps. Like for instance, you know, someone can choose to quit smoking or someone can find out that they've got lung cancer and choose to quit smoking. Right. Right? Like, Depending on your motivating factor, I will definitely say a near-death experience helps you find the motivation to search for life's purpose. But there are countless friends of mine, like yourselves, who are living powerful lives who didn't fly out of a car at 80 miles an hour. And so we each have our own story and our own motivating factors. I think what we all need to do uh, is spend some time uh, what does he call it? The Dickens process. Tony Robbins takes people through the Dickens process where you look back and you look in the future and without having to go through his visualization exercise or infringing on his trademark, if that even is one, I don't know, just kind of project in the future and say, if, if you do what you do right now forever and that what you're working on now is all you've ever finished, not to say that the work you're doing now is not good, but if that's it, fast forward 60 years or whenever it is that you're going to be gone and what you're showing up to work for five days a week and what you're doing in life right now, if that's all you did, would you have regrets? And, and if not, cool, then you're on the right path. But if it's like, well, shoot, I'm not ashamed of what I'm doing, but there is more I wanted to do, then now's the time uh, because you don't have to almost die to realize that every day is precious. Yep. And so what I've helped people do is like really visualize what that would look like to be in a you know, senior uh, facility where you are now aging and maybe elderly and can't, you don't have the stamina or even the physical ability to go back to work and looking back in your life. There are so many different so many different studies out there of like seniors top five regrets and the tops are always like wish I would have spent more time with family and things like that like wish I didn't do so much of this other stuff that actually was meaningless but always in the top five was I wish I would have like pursued my dreams or I wish I would have done this thing and not waited okay it'll be next year it'll be next year and then blink and your your life is up 
And so I, I want to live a life filled with no regrets. And I think that's, you know, where a lot of people can find the motivation too. Well, when you lost your two friends, I imagine that you didn't have the motivation right away. I mean, did oh. you go through a period of going like, I mean, you could have, honestly, you could have told that story and we could be in a rehab clinic right now and you could say, well, this is why I'm a drunk and this is why my life is over because this that. happened to me. Yeah. So I was prescribed morphine pills for my Croxit and you know, I still had pain, but I didn't have enough for morphine. So I just left the bottles aside, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 days after the Croxit uh, and moved on to like Advil or something. And so after losing Matt, I went back to those bottles that were prescribed to me and still had 150 pills in them and started taking, you know, three or four morphine at a time when I was only supposed to take one. And then about a week or so later realized, Hey, if I take like a handful of morphine and drink straight hard alcohol out of the bottle, I fall asleep at like 4 a, uh, four p.m. I don't wake up until like 11 a.m. the next day, so I don't have to be alive as much because mm-hmm. I was so depressed. Mm-hmm. But really the thing that was killing me was this soul-crushing guilt. Yeah. Uh, I, I hated losing Stephen Matt, but I hated more that I lived. Mm-hmm. And being as hurt as I was, I felt like somehow I didn't deserve it. I felt guilty that I made it and they didn't, that none of us should have survived, but I somehow did twice. Yeah. Uh, like two times I shouldn't have survived. If I would have been just a foot more to the right when I fell into the mine shaft, right? after Matt did, uh, I would not have been able to reach out and grab the bush I grabbed. So, you know, the details of that is as I was falling, I grabbed this bush the size of a a basketball and I just held on for dear life. If I would have been literally not even a foot, six inches, I wouldn't have been able to reach it. I would have gone in two. And so that being said, I wasn't suicidal. I didn't want to take my life, but I didn't want to be alive. I was like in between like, Hey, I don't want to kill myself. I'm not going to write a note, but if I accidentally take too many pills and fall asleep and never wake up, it is what it is. That was kind of my mindset. And I did that for a solid month, and it was December 18th. So I lost Steve on September 10th. I lost Matt on November 14th. It's now December 18th. And I just taken my pills, and I was getting ready to knock myself out, and that's where I had my aha moment and realized that by just taking pills and drinking alcohol for the rest of my life was a slap in their faces, that if I especially ended up killing myself, even accidental suicide, uh, and seeing them in heaven would be like, so cool, you got to survive, and we didn't. What'd you do? Oh, you killed yourself anyway. Awesome. Like mm-hmm. I just realized yeah. it was just – had this gnarly sinking feeling that I'd been given a chance at life that I was throwing away. And so that's where I decided to shift. And so, you know, uh, that's where I decided to connect my life's purpose to something big enough for the three of us. And so I, you know, I looked up and started talking to Stephen Matt and said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to live a bigger life, more powerful. I don't know what it looks like yet, but I'm going to change lives. I'm going to change thousands of people's lives for you guys. And you know, I wish I could have you back, but I can't. So I'm going to make my life matter. And that was really the beginning of my turning point was December 18th, got my real estate license the next March, realized I didn't want to be a realtor, but an investor started my investment business that next June. And that was 13 years ago. And then that was the first business I started, which I still own to this day, probably started 30 businesses in all 25 of them failed miserably. Half of those cost me a lot of money, but the four or five I've gotten right have more than covered the losses and, and I'm doing fine. And so that was like the genesis of this movement was in yeah. that in my parents, I had to move back with my parents. I was so hurt after those accidents. I had to move home and be like carried to the toilet. Like I was a mess. And so living in my parents' house after those accidents in their, in their home, in my bedroom on that December 18th moment where I committed to Steve and Matt that I would tell their story and that I would live a life big enough for all of us was my turning point. It wasn't until the next June that I actually started getting productive, which at that point was nine months after the accident. Mm-hmm. That was a long answer, but your point was it wasn't an immediate comeback. Yeah. I went through hell. Yeah. I went through deep, dark depression. I had to go to therapy. My mom's a therapist. So she of course sent me to referrals that she trusted. You know, she can't give me therapy. She's my mom, but like not optional. She believes in mental health. So I was going to therapy. I laid very heavily into my church. My, my church family just 
surrounded me and they were coming over and bringing food to me and my family and just loving on us. And so I went through a very ugly time. Yeah. Uh, but about nine months exactly after the car accident was where I started my first entrepreneurial endeavor, uh, which was at 21 years old. And that's, that's the, as I say, the rest is history. I love that. So the reason why we're here is because, well, Danny's in Connect and I get to just come along for fun. And so that's your mastermind. Can you talk a little bit about how that kind of part of your business came about? We do have a good amount, probably half of our listeners are entrepreneurs, like in the health, fitness space, personal development space. And I like masterminds are huge right now. Like what would, like, why did you feel like that was valuable? So do you want like the original why I started or why yes. I keep doing it? Yeah, both. Both. Okay. <laughs> so... Hopefully, no Connect members get offended. But uh, here's the reality. Uh, for the very first Thrive, I was promised from a promotional company I partnered with who I gave money up front. By the way, entrepreneurs, don't ever pay up front for anything. Pay upon delivery or you know once there's results. But anyway, I paid these people to promote my event. They promised me 1,500 people. I calculated some very conservative numbers and realized, okay, we're going to crush it. We're going to make a lot of money. Bottom line is they didn't do anything. They didn't put a single person in my seats at Thrive One. I had to kick, scratch, and oh my gosh, it worked so hard. I got 440 people there at Thrive One. That was wow. it. We're going to have 1,500 people there this year. Uh, and I realized Saturday morning, once all the numbers had this, so, so Thrive is Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh -huh. We had done Thrive or day one. Waking up in the morning of day two, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose about $270,000. And I was like, I don't want to be a punk. I don't want to lose money. I'm an entrepreneur. It just doesn't sit right, even though I'm doing <laughs> movement. So right there, I thought of, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to sell them something. What am I going to sell them? Yeah. <laughs> and then by like 10 a.m., I was like, oh, everyone's in masterminds now. I'll, I'll, I'll create a mastermind. Uh -huh. So then I pulled two of my buddies that were in the audience out. And I was like, hey, I want to do a mastermind. How do you do it? What should we do? And then we named it at lunch, Connect. And we decided that we would do one weekend about six months later as like the halfway mark through the year. And I stood on stage and I sold it. And I sold 300000 of it right there on the spot. <laughs> That's it. crazy. And so it was... The origin was just me wanting to be a true entrepreneur and not lose money. Yeah. Uh, and I knew that these things were cool. Then I had to get to work to actually find speakers and make Thrive Connect 001 actually work. Right. And it was badass. I mean, I you know, I have a great network now. Lewis Howes came and spoke at that mastermind as yeah. well. And we, since we brought him up and a few others uh, came that were just A-list level, just really great speakers. And at the end of that weekend, people were like, this was the best thing ever. How do we keep it going? It was only six months. So it was like... Thrive ended. It was one call a month for six months. And at the end was a three-day meetup mastermind. Mm -hmm. So it was like, hey, instead of Thrive ending, let's do it for six months. Yep. And it was freaking rad. So then year two, I was like, well, that was fun. Let's actually plan for it this time. Mm -hmm. And that was the birth of Connect. So the reason I thought of it was I didn't want to lose money. Yep. <laughs> I love the it. The reason I still do it four years later is because I meet people like yourselves. Really? And as you guys know, Thrive is, is not an income source for my wife and I. We make our money elsewhere. Mm -hmm. This is our four-purpose business that's just about, you know, uh, moving our message forward in the world. Why I even bother putting up with the work I do for Connect to make very little no money at all on it because we, we give it away is to meet really cool people. Some of the most amazing humans I know in my life are Connect members. And I was talking to a friend about it and he says it's because they go through the Thrive filter. Yeah. Just to come to Thrive, they have to be cool. Like it's all over the messaging. Yeah. If you're just some corporate capitalist and wants to make a ton of money and do nothing for anyone, don't come. You're not invited. Yeah. But if you're a rad person that wants to use your business to change the world, Thrive is for you. So that's the first filter. Yeah. Then they come to Thrive. Then they have to invest, you know, a sizable amount of money. You know, for most masterminds, I'd say it's about mid-range. It's not what some of them are and it's certainly not as cheap as others. Yeah. Uh, but 
It's fair. Uh, so that's another filter of people who believe so much in making their money matter that they're willing to invest five figures yeah. into more training. And of course, there's an ROI from the business principles we teach as well. But the core theme of the group is come together and let's collaborate on how to move the world through our businesses together. And so that's an even bigger filter. And the people who end up in Connect are just freaking rat. So why do I still do it? Uh, today is to meet amazing people. It's to continue to curate those friendships and those businesses that I want to have in my life. Uh, and it's an awesome way for my wife and I to work together. I, I think that uh, that might even be my favorite part selfishly is to see who was just a supportive wife three years ago. Like, what's this thing called you're doing? Thrive? What's that about? Yeah. To now being my co-founder and really doing about 80% of the day-to-day -day of Thrive. And just having a platform to watch her kick ass in is probably one of my primary motivations for continuing this on too. Uh, besides the romance of the movement and all the world's, you know, the change we're doing in the world is just to see my wife just kick butt. So. She's awesome. Yeah. So you guys need to shout out Sonia Harder, uh, Hatter. <laughs> we'll put in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, she didn't marry Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <be> Chris <laughs> but yeah, so, so that was it, I guess. I mean, I wish it was a more romantic reason in, originally, but I just didn't want to lose money. And then I fell in love with hosting my own mastermind and I'll never stop. I love that. Well, I mean, we have all kinds of things that we've kind of pulled, pulled out of our asses, so to speak, and that turned into something, you know, either to make money for a trip or whatever. So I love that it just, you kind of thought of it on the spot. And it's also good for people to hear because sometimes we've got these entrepreneurs who have to wait till everything's perfect and plan it. And it doesn't mm -hmm. always work that way. Sometimes you just can come up with it and then deliver later. Um, but speaking of Sonia, so Jill and I talk a lot about relationships on the Best Life Podcast. And when we were in Mexico, one of the things like we have, we've talked about our relationships and, and Cole knows about uh, the affairs and everything. We talk about that a lot on here. And, you know, one Didn't of the you things- you have them on your podcast? I had my ex on my podcast yeah, and, and, and just asked him. Yeah. I was like, so how does an affair start? Like <laughs> it was your ex kissed me on the freaking cheek when I was at your podcast. Yeah. Lunch. Oh my no, God. He's, he's awesome. Yeah. He <laughs> yeah, does that. I, I was so, all right. I know you're about to get to your <laughs> yeah, question. Yeah, no, so it's okay. Don't Go lose for it. it. But for your audience. Okay. So, so I, I know their story. Uh, and I assume that their relationship, their being Danny and Jill's relationships with their exes, I don't know their names, was somewhat amicable, right? Yeah. And I'm at the podcast launch for this this podcast I'm on right now, yeah. the launch party in Santa Monica, and I'm hanging out, and then I think it was either, I don't know, one of you two is like, oh, by the way, these are our ex-husbands. I was like, oh my God, they're here? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you need me to ask there. them to leave? And you're like, no, they're like the best ever. We're all friends still. So anyway, I just thought that was very interesting that these two gentlemen who are no longer your husband's and the way that it ended. Yeah. Are they just rooting you on for your podcast launch? So anyway, yeah. all right, enough of that. But so. <laughs> no, so. I it mean, is the Twilight Zone sometimes, but yeah, we just dude, go with I that. I was tripping out. I was like, yeah, we appreciate that. Look it out. Like, I'm not small, but I'll get some people. <laughs> <laughs> I know neither one of them are small. Yeah. No, I, I think when we were in Mexico, you know, we got to really observe you with your wife and, and it was one of those things where, you know, we were, we were able to watch you guys be together and see how you just adore her. And that was one of the things that honestly just, it made, I think it made Jill and I, both of us were like, we're going, you know, when you get out of a relationship, like how ours ended, you tend to be maybe a little more cynical about men, about just how relationships can they even be good. And so we're watching Cole with Sonia, just like adoring her, like kind of melting across the room. I love you. And I was just like, I know I teared up a couple of times just watching you guys going, man, you know, this stuff, this kind of uh, relationship is out there and it is possible. But I know that you told, you also told a story on stage of how you almost lost Sonia. So you guys were dating and then she dumped you or something. So yeah, kind of tell us how that. Yeah, she had a moment of psycho and she let me go. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us.
us a little bit about your background relationship with your wife and then we can kind of ask a little bit more. And about like, how, how do you know, together. like, how do you know for someone who's listening to this, who's like, you know, I would really like to have a relationship like Cole and Sonia. Like, how do you cultivate that? Is it an energy thing? Is it like, how did you know that was? So let me just start off by saying we are not perfect. But I mean, this was very complimentary. But for those of you that are listening, there are days where Sonia wants to punch me in the face, <laughs> probably as recently as last week. So like most people, we have we have our challenges. I mean, you know, you, married people do. But we work through them and we have our, our foundation. So to your question, what's kind of our history? We actually went to high school together. We were not mm-hmm. friends. We knew who each other were. I was just worried about popularity, football star, having friends. She was worried about getting straight A's. And so different different groups, different yep. social groups that never crossed. Uh, like we didn't even go to a dance with other people, but in the same group. Like mm-hmm. our social circles didn't have a connecting spot. Yep. I would just kind of mess with that. I'd be like, hey, what's up, Sonia? Right? Because uh, she was super cute. And um more context she immigrated to the u.s so in high school she was beautiful and she like took care of herself but she didn't care about what the trendy girls cared about yeah she was like somewhat like mysteriously confident in her own skin uh-huh. which didn't look like all the other girls that were me too's right and so that's what really caught my eye we didn't date and we weren't friends and i was dating those copycat like yeah. you know girls that all looked the same and wore the same clothes and talked the same but the sonny girl that just like had no interest in being in that circle of what was cool that was it. We graduate. We move on. She dated other people. I had other relationships. Six years passed, and we accidentally run into each other. I'm at sushi with my boys, and she was the bartender, and the waitress was taking too long to bring my drink. So I was like, screw this. I'm going to go get them straight from the bar myself. Go to the bar, and here's Sonia. Uh, and now she's not 17. She's 23, and just freaking smoking hot. And I was like, <laughs> holy crap, Sonia. And then I, within a, I didn't even – I wasn't like, oh, I remember. I was like, dude, Sonia. And she looked right at me. She's like – uh, hi, Cole. And that was the beginning. I asked her when she got off work that night. She said 2 a.m. In, in California, the bars close at 2. So she said, by the time I do my side work and restock, it'll be like 4 a.m. I was like, awesome. So I'm racking my brain. What's open at 4? And I was like, I'll come back. I'll pick you up. Let's go to Denny's. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. And she said no. She didn't even think about it. She wasn't like, oh, I don't know. I'll be tired. She was looking around the face and said no. And walked around. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't even like a courtesy, like, letdown. She was just like, no. Anyway, I was harassing her a little bit. I was like, come on. Like, I don't want to go on a date. I just want to catch up. It's been six years. I haven't seen it since high school. Let's come on. Like, let's see what's going on in each other's life. Bottom line, she gives me her phone number. Polite thing to do is wait three days. I called her at 9 a.m. the next day. She didn't answer. She texted me a day and a half later because she's playing the games. Bottom line is we finally had that meet up for drinks, and then we were inseparable. Uh, it was not a date. It was, hey, let's just catch up. Yeah. But, you know, when we had that time together, she realized how cool I was, and she just <laughs> couldn't let me go. Yep. And so fast forward, uh, we date two years. And because of losing Stephen Matt, the story I told earlier, and some other losses and some bad relationships where – you know, the person cheated on me and I was just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get married. I, I believe in monogamy. I'm not going to be some player, but I don't want a wife and children someday. Cause I was still really dealing with my depression still years later from Steve and Matt. This was maybe four years after the accidents. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want someone to be that close to me. Cause if they died, I didn't want it to hurt. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it's like, okay, I got my mom, my dad, my sisters, my cousins. Like there's yep. these people in my inner circle, yep. but I don't want anyone else getting put in here. Because when those people are going to die on me, because they're all going to die, I was sure, it's going to hurt too bad. Everyone else is going to be at an arm's length distance. So I told her that. I was like, hey, listen, I'm not going to marry you. I'll be faithful to you. It'll just be us. No, like, open relationship, but I am not going to marry you. And in the beginning, she didn't care. She's like, that's fine. Two years later, she said, I don't need an engagement, but... You know, would you ever even consider getting married again? And that's its own cool story in mm-hmm. itself. And I had to be honest. I said no. And so she dumped me. We're actually sitting in her car. I was in the passenger seat. 
And uh, she was driving, and I looked her in the face. I said, no, it's, it's no offense. You're amazing, but I just I cannot get married. And you know why. She knew why. Mm-hmm. She knows my story. And so she, she had a tear come down her cheek, and it was the first time I'd ever heard I love you. And she's like, well, I love you. I've loved you for a really long time. And if you can't love me the way I deserve to be loved, you can't have me. Get out. Damn kicked me out of the car and drove away. And it was 2008, so what sucked worse is there's no Uber. I had to call my mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for laughing. And so so that was it. She dumped me. you had cell phones then. And it least. was on Cinco de Mayo, by the way. So so really bad day. And I moved to Mexico June 1st. So I my business had gone into the tanks. My girlfriend had dumped me. I had no reason to stay. I moved to Mexico. And I ended up starting the orphanage that we were talking about earlier that mm-hmm. I just sent the money to. And living in Ensenada, Mexico for seven months, building houses for homeless families. And that's where I got total healing. I wasn't like one Bible verse or one conversation over coffee. It was a million little things. Uh, It was a million just being embraced by my kids at the orphanage and that they loved me, like genuinely loved me. And it was a million handing the keys to what was a homeless family and having the keys to their own home. And for those of you listening, these aren't like big 10,000 square foot mansions. We're giving them 16 by 20 foot concrete slab build up homes, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the nicest home that anyone in those neighborhoods has. Right. And so after doing that, I just found healing. Came back to America, asked her to marry me. She said yes. We weren't dating, by the way. And that's another story for another day. Took her out to Catalina Island, set up this whole thing. And uh, it had been 10 months. I didn't know she had a boyfriend. I didn't care. I didn't want to date her again and say, hey, let's be boyfriend and girlfriend. I already knew I loved her. I already knew that we dated for two years. So I just straight up asked her to marry me. She said yes. So then we posted on Facebook. Everyone's like, wait. I thought you guys broke up. <laughs> They're like, wait. <laughs> what do you mean you're engaged? And then she wanted to get things happening very quickly. So we got married five and a half months later. Got pregnant on the honeymoon. Had oh our daughter about one year mark of our of our wedding day. Uh, we got our daughter, Amazing. and so I went from not even having a girlfriend to married with a child in sixteen months. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't like the "oops, I got you pregnant, let's get married." It was like the we, yeah. you know, we got married and just had a lot of fun on the honeymoon. I yep. blame the wine in Italy, and uh, here we are. So that's the and story so then that's how do you okay? So then, like fast forward, what is? I mean, I always I kind of hate to say this, but like, what is the secret? Like, how do you cultivate uh, that relationship? So the secret is respect. That's it. Uh, and I blow it a lot. She, I, I've got a big mouth and it helps me because I can talk on stage. And But I also sometimes when I'm angry, can use my mouth to hurt people. And so our number one reason that we have hard times is when uh, we're not respecting each other. Probably 80% of the time it's me. 20% she'll screw up, right? Uh, she's not perfect, but... I'll own it. Just don't let her listen to this episode, (laughs) please. Uh, That it's probably me most of the time. But my parents have been married for 45 years together, 50. Uh, It'll be 51 years this fall. Love your parents. Yeah. And uh, and I ask them all the time, and that was their word was respect. And now that I'm seven years into marriage, so certainly not an expert, but looking back, uh, I would say that the areas that we struggled the most was when we weren't respecting each other. Uh, And so the thing about love, and I don't want to get too much on my bandwagon here or soapbox because I'm passionate about this is everyone thinks love is a feeling, but it's very much not, uh, to, to love, to be in love is a feeling to love. Someone is an action Mm. to love. Someone is the fact that my daughters had a fever two nights ago and Sonny and I were absolutely exhausted and they're throwing up and all night long getting up to just care for them and love them. When Sonny has way more like early meetings and like it's sacrifice, it's love. And so the way a mother loves a child is probably pretty understandable for everyone out there that it's them above you always. And 
It's never like, you know what, I'm just going to let my kid sleep in its own vomit. It's not going to die, and I'm going to get the rest I need because I'm tired. It's, nope, I'm going to pull an all-nighter, sleep not at all, to make sure that my kid's comfortable, has clean sheets and clean pajamas, pull it out of bed, give it a bath or whatever, five times throughout the night because it keeps puking on itself. That's love. And then all of a sudden you get married, and it's warm and fuzzies in the beginning, and then those warm and fuzzies almost always go away over time. And then it's, oh, we fell out of love. But that's not what love was. Mm -hmm. And when you look at how a mother loves a child, and I'm just – probably talking about that because I'm looking at these pictures of the kids right here. I think that's universally understandable. Even if you're a man who's not even a parent, you know how a mother loves its child. And in the sense of how to make a marriage last, the romance needs to be there. But I'm not even talking about romantic love. I'm talking about service and respect. And as long as you remember that and that's what you're signing up for, uh, there's times where I don't like my wife. And there's times, probably a, a lot of times, she doesn't like me. But at the end of the day, love is action, it's respect, and as long as we do that, we're fine. And I think that's where a lot of people blow it. I think that mm-hmm. they're like, oh, man, you know, seeing each other naked for the first time was crazy. Now we walk around naked and don't even look at each other. And, oh, my gosh, that first kiss, I had butterflies. Now I don't even want to kiss. And I guess we all, we, we've just become better friends than lovers. And so I guess we'll kind of separate because, you know, we, we realized one day we woke up that uh, we, we, we should have never been married. We just I hear this all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're just we're really great friends. And so, so we want to protect that friendship and go start sleeping with other people, right? So those butterflies come back. That's not it. And then, by the way, if you can't figure it out, the butterflies stay just so everyone knows. You know, I don't like every time I kiss my wife, I don't get butterflies. But the romance and the desire and all that romantic, fuzzy stuff, she and I still have. And the guy that's got divorced after 30 years of marriage could say, oh, you don't know. You just wait. Okay, well, I'll just wait. But when I'm married 50 years, like my parents are, I'll say, told you so. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that was a bit of a rant, but, and I certainly am no expert. I've been doing this for seven years. And again, if my wife had a headset in here, she'd probably have a mouthful of things to say <laughs> I need to be better. But what at do the you, end of the day. What do you guys do to grow together? Because we just did an episode on people growing apart or maybe like, you know, you were on this path to do Thrive and now she's a part of it. But what if she wasn't? What if she was like, you know, Cole, I like your mission's great, but it's just not where I'm at. Because do you guys make an effort to like go to the same events, read the same books, listen to the same things so you grow together? Are you ever worried that, that you could grow apart or have you considered that? No. So I, I mean, first time I've had that question, good question. Here's what came to mind. Thrive is just an extension of our mission that we share. And so I think why Sonny and I, right now it's manifest in Thrive. I know the shelf life of business events is five to, or seven to 10 years. So chances are I won't even be doing Thrive five to six years from now, right? Mm-hmm. Unless we can pull it off. Cool. I'm not saying I want to shut it down, but that's just the way these live event type things work. Or you have to rebrand it, rename it, et cetera. Bottom line is right now, the extension of why she and I married, of what she and I value and the life that she and I said we wanted to create that we are 100% in, what do you call it, synchronized mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, the extensions thrive. Right now, the extension is being entrepreneurs in the way that we run our businesses. Uh, but it doesn't have to be. That's just how it's manifesting today. And so I think what's important for people to grow together is to have a bigger picture. And the action is just part of part of the function of that bigger picture. I'll use Naveen Jain. So you guys, mm-hmm. uh, in January, Naveen came and spoke at our mastermind. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember, I asked him a question. It's about business, but the parallel for what we're talking about here is, is good. And I asked him, hey, Naveen, you're the billionaire, but 
your your company Viome, you're getting the smartest PhDs in the world, and you're getting the smallest smartest people in the world to come. Why are they going to stay? And like he his response was essentially, it's because they want to end disease, which is what Viome does for the listeners. And it's not about me. They mm-hmm. actually don't care. I could die tomorrow. They're all there because of the biggest the bigger picture of making disease optional, which is what Viome's trying to do. And so the PhD that's looking at petri dishes of stuff has nothing to do with anything else other than she's there, I forget her name, because she wants to end disease. And all these other people like, yeah, Naveen, you're cool, but I'm not here for you. This is the vision. Does that make sense? Yes. And so for a marriage, that big vision of what we want to do to the world and how we want to raise our children has to be 100% in alignment. And then whether it manifests as thrive or whatever it is, those are just the actions along the way. So right now, that woman who wants to end disease right now is looking at Petri dishes. I'll bet you there's no romance in Petri dishes. It's the bigger picture of ending disease. Mm-hmm. For Sonny and I, we enjoy Thrive. It's not that there's no romance there. It's fun, but it's not about Thrive. It's about she and I showing up as a couple and sharing what we believe our message is with the world and living our God-giving purpose, which is to lead, inspire, impact, and, and really live by example uh, in the areas of life that we're passionate about. So for anybody who's listening to this who's marriage isn't working well, or you said something like, you know, Sonny's like, Hey, I can appreciate doing thrive, but it's not really my thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's fine. But you've got to have this higher level. What are we as a couple doing? What's our mission and things will come and go along the way. And another thing that Sonny and I do regularly that could be applicable here is to do regular audits. Mm -hmm. Uh, we do that more for work-life balance. Because what she and I do is we go on a quote unquote date. We have uh, the mother-in-law watch the girls and we're alone. Oh yeah. And all we do is talk about Thrive the whole time. Hey, did you get an email back from Ed? My life? Awesome. Did you send the contract to Eric Thomas? Okay. And it's like, shit, we're on a freaking date right now. Stop talking about business. Um, How's your life? What's up with your girlfriends? Ashley, you hung out with Ashley the other day. How's she doing? So we have to do regular audits to make sure we're remembering to be husband and wife and not just business partners Mm -hmm. co-parenting, but that we are actually us too. And so I think that it would be important to, number one, recommend couples do audits like that. But then number two, to do audits on, hey, are we actually living our mission? Or did we sell out somewhere for paychecks? And part of the reason we're being brought apart Mm. isn't necessarily us, but it's because we're walking down paths that aren't in alignment of why we're here. And one more quote from Philip McKernan from our Mexico retreat. He said, you know, people are working so hard to climb the top of the mountain and you might get to the summit and look down on all the work and say, oh my gosh, I'm at the top of the mountain. I made it to look across and realize you climbed to the top of the wrong mountain. And you're looking out there and you're like, whoops, I'm proud of the work I did, but I'm on the top of the wrong freaking mountain. And so to regularly audit yourself as you're on that journey to not just work for work's sake, to not just sell out for a paycheck, but to make sure you're working to climb the right mountain. And then back to the original point of this whole thing, to make sure that you and your significant other are meant to be at the top of the same mountain, that that's your vision, that that's the summit. And how you get there, whether it's Thrive or anything else is, is just an extension of what it is you want to do together. I love that reminder. I think sometimes like we, you know, you go into a relationship and you're not always having those conversations right away Mm -hmm. or like, how do you, you know, I think it's a good reminder for us to like, okay, bring that up. Like, what does that, what does that look like for you? And I think sometimes you just get so, uh, in like in love, in the love and in the relationship that you forget the communication part and you forget the audits and like the, the stuff that's maybe not as sexy. So we have one last question. This is a question that we ask all of our guests. This, uh, of course, is called the Best Life Podcast. So what does the best life look like to you? So the best life for me, uh, right on that theme of what we were just talking about, is is being able to stop and look back and know that the work that I'm doing is not just work I'm proud of, but work that matters. 
uh, and is in alignment with my purpose and that I'm doing it with my family. I have a very clear vision before I even met Sonia that I didn't want to be the guy that would leave the family and go to my desk job to provide, which no disrespect to anybody who does, but the work that I wanted to do in the world, I wanted to be a family work. So what does the best life look like for me? It's knowing that my wife, my daughters, myself as a family unit are doing work that's not just providing a dream life for us, but makes a measurable impact in the world. And, uh, I'm that. that'll get me a little emotional. I did an <laughs> event here. Well, here's, here's what it is. Two weeks ago, I did an event here. I had 40 entrepreneurs at my house and my daughter set up a lemonade stand in the backyard. Oh my God. Which I thought amazing. was rad in her own backyard, getting all these <laughs> men and women who are paying to come to my live event, uh, to buy her lemonade. Love it. And it was, she ended up making $62 and I was so proud of her and on her own without me or her wife telling me or my wife telling her anything. She said, Daddy, with this $62, I want to give it to the kids in Mexico. Aww. That's the best life. That my little five-year-old, like, without being, hey, baby, you know, you could buy anything or give it to Mexico. What do you want to do? Oh, I'll give it to Mexico. That is not what happened. She came running in with these big, beautiful eyes, wide open, saying, Daddy, I made $62. I'm like, that's my girl. <laughs> what do you think? I'm thinking she's going to want an LOL doll or whatever yeah. it is. She literally... I want to give all of it to the kids in Mexico. It's like, that's the best life. Oh, I love that. I'm tearing up too. <laughs> you always do this to us, Cole. I know. Well, I mean, that just happened like literally 10 days ago. Like that's just I love fresh that in my so heart. Much. And so that's the best life. Oh, I love it. So if people want to find you, where is the best place to find you, find out about Thrive, all that stuff? So I'm at Cole Hatter on everything. Mm-hmm. Just at Cole Hatter, one word, no underscores, no nothing. Sonia's at Sonia Hatter. She's way more interesting than I am. <laughs> and then uh, our event uh, is at, uh, what is it? Not at, sorry. AttendThrive.com. So they want to check out Thrive, which I'm sure you two lovely folks will be there. Yep. Uh, it's AttendThrive.com. And then again, social media is at Cole Hatter or at Sonia Hatter. Yeah. If you guys follow Cole, um, Cole and Sonia for sure. They always have great stuff on the stories. And yes, if you could get to Thrive, it's in September. Uh, we'll definitely post the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for having us in your studio here yeah, and for sharing your story. We enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thanks Amazing. for having me on. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.